You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Hi. I, I was almost tempted. My hands were like freezing cold, so I almost wore mittens up here. But then Joe made fun of me, so I decided against it. Um, yeah, like Joe said, uh, we're talking about Christology. You can get the little bookmark at the cool back table. So we are like halfway through um, talking about Jesus. And this month is going to be really exciting, talking about his humanity and how he was fully divine at the same time. There's lots of cool, complex ideas when talking about Jesus but I am so happy to be here on the first Sunday school of 2013. Isn't that so sweet? Starting the year off right, you know? He's not paying attention to me. Um, yeah, like he said, too, fill out a visitor card. They're on the tables. And then the nice people in the back, they would love to know your name and story. They'll give you a CD and a bookmark and a sticker and business cards. Really, whatever they have back there, I'm sure they'll give it to you. Um, so yeah, so today we will be talking about Jesus and his full humanity. So we're going to talk about some of the limitations he had as a human. We're also going to talk about uh, how he was tempted, how he was sinless, which is, there are some pretty cool ideas in that. And we'll also talk about the virgin birth and why that's important. But I do think it's great to start off talking about Jesus, about the humanity, for a few reasons. One of them is we just passed Christmas, right? So we just passed a week or two ago of sitting together with your families and watching like special made-for-TV movies, you know, about Christmas time and the story of Jesus coming as a baby. So I think starting off this month, it's, it's pretty cool how it worked out and that timing. I also think it's cool to kind of talk about the humanity of Jesus because I think, maybe you don't do this, but I've done this, where it's natural for me to think of Jesus as God first. Like that's always kind of like my first thought. Like, uh, how many of you guys went to Sunday school when you were little kids? Did you guys go to Sunday school? You're like lifers in Sunday school? Yes. Yeah, so I did too. So I, like, I remember going to like Miss Ruby's kindergarten, like uh, Sunday school class. And I remember every time in Sunday school, there'd be like lots of different topics where they would ask questions. Because I went to a small church, so there's like four of us in this class. And whenever they would ask a question, sometimes they'd be asking about like a specific person, like, of the Trinity, where it's like, okay, who did this? And the answer is like, oh, the Holy Spirit did that, or oh, the Father did that. He sent the Son. But every time it was, the answer was kind of God, I would always say Jesus. Did you guys ever do that? They're like, who did this? It's like, Jesus. And I remember, even as a little kid, the teacher was like really confused. Like, she was like, you're right, but you're wrong. And there's like this like weird, anybody else go through that? Was it just me? Perfect. Um, so yeah, I think it's great to talk about the humanity of Jesus because it is easy for me to think, oh yeah, he was God, he was divine. But it is really cool to think that he was fully man and he experienced things that we did and felt things that we feel. Um, so I think that's really great. So before we jump totally into that, um, I want to talk about open-handed and closed-handed issues. I know we talk about this a lot, but I think it's like worth kind of repeating so we kind of know what we're talking about. So open-handed issues, do you guys remember what this means? Yes. Okay, good. So open-handed issues are things that uh, maybe have some gray area in them when it comes to like what the Bible says about it. Maybe a fun example would be like using electric guitars in worship, where it's like, oh, some people pick fights about that. Well, that's an open-handed issue. There weren't electric guitars in the Old Testament. They didn't exist. So they're not written about, but they have liars. So maybe, you know, so there's room to discuss whether or not you should have electric guitars. And some people make 
Yeah, the issue is some people make open-handed issues, closed-handed issues, and then they use that closed hand like a weapon and try to beat people up with it, and it just doesn't work. Um, so closed-handed issues, normally, uh, the more I read about this and the more I learn it, I have a harder time defining this, but they're normally more uh, of the topics that are like, how do I say it, like, it changes whether you go to heaven or hell. It's a salvation issue. Like, to believe in Jesus is kind of a close-handed issue for us, right? If you say, as a Christian, I don't believe in Jesus at all, well, the, the, you're not a Christian. Um, but the issue is, even in, and we'll get some of these topics today, which is sweet, but the issue is, in the close-handed issues, there are still some gray areas within those topics, right? Like the virgin birth and how it works. Or how is Jesus actually sinless? I don't know, um, but I believe he was. So in these close-handed issues, we're, we are going to talk about some gray areas. So today, when I bring up questions, don't leave and say, this guy doesn't believe in Jesus, because that's not true. Um, and for the sake of the argument today, I will say that close-handed issues are those that we see in the Nicene Creed. Can we do that? Can we just agree on that? You guys know what the Nicene Creed is? Yeah? It's like a bunch of guys a few hundred years after Jesus was around. Had the, like, like I said, there's lots of these gray areas that are hard. So a group of these guys sat down and said, okay, let's, let's write what we think about this so we can say it, believe it, and they pull it from Scripture. So the Nicene Creed is not Scripture, but they pull all the big ideas from Scripture to kind of say, this is what we believe about everything. Does that make sense? So before we jump into it, I would love to read it together. Can we read it together? You know, like big group readings where it's slower than normal and kind of monotone? Yes. All right, ready? All right, ready? I always feel awkward starting these things. All right, go. Um, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Yeah, so those are, for the sake of today's conversations, the things in there are the close-handed issues. And so in there it says this. It says, He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. So that's what we're going to talk about today, how he was made man, and we will start with the virgin birth. Uh, 
before I keep going, did everybody get a note sheet? Has a sweet picture of this dude with a killer stash. Um, if you don't have those, maybe try to find them before we really get going. Because today when we're talking about some of these things, I'm going to just list just a ton of scripture. So you won't have time to write down the scripture word for word, but you'll have time to like write down those references. Because we're all the nerds of the mill, right? Isn't that what you guys say of yourselves? Or at least that's what Joe says of you. Um, so good. Um, so yeah, so that way you can study these things and look at them later. So we'll start with the virgin birth, like we just said. So if you, made, if you missed like the made-for-TV Christmas special of the nativity, um, I'll read you a little bit uh, from Scripture. So Matthew 1, 18 through 20. This is kind of the, the quick little part of it. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. We also see in Galatians 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so that's, to talk about Jesus' humanity is a great place to start. And there's lots of important things about uh, the virgin birth, and we're going to talk about four of those things this morning. And so the first thing of why that's actually important is that salvation isn't from a man. It's not something that we just like, some guy came up and just saved the day. And this is cool because in the Old Testament, we, we see the Israelites always looking for this, don't we? There's like, oh, we think it's Moses. And then he saved them on some level, but then he wasn't the Savior, right? Then we saw Abraham did that. And then they're like, well, we need a king. So they, then David comes in. We're like, oh, David's going to save the day. And then he doesn't. I mean, he does on some levels, obviously. He's still king. You guys know those stories. But, but salvation isn't from any of those guys. So the virgin birth, allowing the Holy Spirit, as it says in Matthew, we just read, that the Holy Spirit came and made this thing possible. We know that our salvation isn't man-made. It's not something that some dude just created one day when he was bored. And it allows us to always give glory back to God for that. So I think this is probably one of the the bigger issues and key things about the virgin birth. Like, there's something special about that. It allows us to not get caught up on some guy. Uh, Second thing, the virgin birth allows full deity and full humanity to exist in one person. And so we've talked about, like, the hypostatic union in here, right? Have we talked about that? But this idea of, like, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man which is really kind of confusing. Uh, and you'll even see, maybe at the end of this, we'll have time to talk about a couple of like the heresies. But it's like hard for us to try to figure out how does one person have two complete full natures of completely God and completely man. That's really, yeah, it's really kind of confusing. Like I think of it maybe in a way it's similar. It obviously isn't quite there, but like marriage is that. Like I I got to officiate a wedding last month. And in Ephesians 5, it talks about how these two people become married and now they become one. It's not good math, you know? Like, how does one plus one equal one? And so it's a confusing thing, and we call it a miracle. But even in marriage, we see, oh, the husband is still a guy, 
and the wife is still a girl, and they still have like their own thoughts, and they still have all these things. It is a challenge, though, for these two people to have dreams that line up and budgets that line up, and they get taxed as one. You know, like there's lots of things where we see it, but it's still we can still separate it. Where with Jesus, it's a lot more difficult to separate the two. He's he's a hundred percent of both, which is really confusing. And so I suppose just for the sake of maybe the argument, is that God could have done it any way he wanted to, right? I mean, he could have just had a full-grown man and just sent him down to be our Savior, right? I mean, I suppose he could have. This obviously is not in Scripture. Um, But I suppose he could have. But if he would have done that, then we probably would have thought, like, is this guy actually a human? Is he just like some alien dropped out of the sky to save us? It wouldn't have worked right? Um, and then the other argument is, well, couldn't Jesus have just been born of two human parents? If the Holy Spirit was strong enough to move inside of Mary, couldn't he have just moved inside of a small baby the same way? I suppose that could have happened, and the Savior could have come that way. Uh, but if that would have happened, then we probably would have doubted that he was divine, right? You know, like, if one of your friends just said, yeah, and you knew his parents, and you knew everything, and you just had some friends that said, you know, I'm the Lord. You're nuts. You know, like, or if you hear some guy in, like, Toronto is like, I'm the Savior. No, you're not. It's not possible. Um, to be fair, I guess some people even thought that of Jesus. But, so that's how the virgin birth allows that to happen, right? We see that he's the son of God. We also see that he's the son of a woman, which is really interesting. Is this interesting to you? As I, as I studied this, Joe told me I, had to, I could speak this week and that I, all I had to do was talk about Jesus. But there's so much about this. It's like, it's really intense. Okay, so first thing, salvation isn't for man. Uh, second thing is fully God, fully man in one person. So here's the third one. The virgin birth allows Jesus to be born sinless. And so we get this idea, it's from Luke uh, like 135, says the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come down to you and God's power will come over you. So your child will be called the Holy Son of God. Um, so there we see that he is born holy. And, and even that, there's, there's lots of room to discuss, well like, oh cool, like I believe Jesus is sinless and born holy. It's like, well how does that work? And there's lots of gray areas. So even just for the sake of defining sin, I found this quote, which is pretty cool. Uh, sin is any lack of conformity, active or passive, to the moral law of God. This may be a matter of act, of thought, or of inner disposition or state. So it's kind of saying, like, we aren't just sinners because we sin, but we do sin because we are sinners. In which case, Jesus is free from all of that, which is pretty cool. And so he, he doesn't have this thing we see in Luke that he's holy and that he's sinless. And now there is like, if you read scriptures and if you read different commentaries, there's lots of gray areas when it comes to like, well, how does that work? You know, like, um, like not to get graphic, but remember Dr. Foley was up here when he talked about abortion a couple of months or a couple of weeks ago and explained how babies are made. If you still don't know how that works, Joe will tell you after. Um, but so is it like, well, did the Holy Spirit come and like the sperm put in there and that worked? Or was it like the Holy Spirit just put a baby in this woman? Like, how does this work? Or 
is, is Jesus free from sin because he didn't have a human father? Is like a human father, is that where sin is inherited from? You read, if you read enough commentaries, these are actually all real questions that people really fight and struggle with. In fact, like, have you ever heard of the Immaculate Conception? You guys know what this is? So this became like, it's a Roman Catholic thing, for those of you that don't know, and it actually became part of their belief system, like officially, like in 1854, something like that, because they had the same problem trying to explain why. So what they said, their answer to this, is to say, well, Mary was perfectly holy and sinless also. So when Mary, who was perfectly holy and sinless, and the Holy Spirit, this baby came, well, obviously he was perfect and holy and sinless, which isn't necessarily, necessarily biblical, but for us, we would also say, well, that still doesn't solve our problem, because how was Mary born sinless if she had two human parents? So there's still a disconnect somehow. Um, but there's lots of fighting, and there's lots of confusion on how that is. So for me, I just say, great, he is holy. And I, and I love in Sunday school where we can talk about some of these ideas, and hopefully we can dig through them, and you can go home and read some of these ideas. Because I, I think it's really great that God gave us a brain to think through some of these things. You know? And even as I was reading, there's two ways to really learn about Jesus. It's like this historical way of like, this is what happened. But there's also this other part of learning about Jesus that requires such great faith. Where it says, yeah, I can read all that I can read about ancient texts, but at the same time, it's still a miracle. And, and I, it's, who, who are we to say like, Oh, you can't do that, Lord. That doesn't make any sense. He made everything, so he can do whatever he wants, you know? Um, so yeah, so, there, so the virgin birth allows Jesus to be born sinless. Even that bullet point, I had a hard time saying it like that after all the things I've read about how it works. Moving on. Uh, the fourth idea is the, the importance of the virgin birth. It fulfills many Old Testament prophecies. Now, there's a lot of them. So we're not going to talk about all of them. We could probably spend like a full hour just going through the prophecies of what the Old Testament says and what Jesus actually is. Um, but one thing I would love to focus on is that he was, in, he was actually in line to be king. Did you know this? Um, some of you, I'm sure, have already thought about this. And, but they give the genealogy of Joseph or of Jesus twice in Scripture. Have you guys read these things, the genealogies? So one's in Matthew, one's in Luke. Um, and so both of them fulfill prophecies of the Old Testament, of him being in the same bloodline as David. And so it's, it's kind of tricky, again, and kind of really cool. Because to, to give the genealogy of Joseph, it wasn't actually his dad, but he was adopted. And by adopted, by Joseph adopting Jesus, that legally makes Jesus his son which is kind of a cool picture for us in some way, where Jesus, the Savior, is brought into a family that really wasn't fully his. And because of what he did for us, we are now able to be adopted into this family that we were never really fully fit into. You know what I mean? So that's, for me, that's kind of a cool idea. But then I had this question when I was, when I was studying and thought, well, if he was just adopted, is that, does that like cheat? You know, like, is he still in the line? Um, and so that's Matthew 1. If you read the genealogy in Luke 3, some people think that's the actual genealogy of Mary. Because some people say, well, where it says son of, it actually means son-in-law of, which would put that into Mary's category, 
which would then be really cool, right? If, oh, he's legally in line to be king from David because of his dad, but he's also through the bloodline of Mary to still be the king. That's pretty cool. Um, But depending on what you read, people don't all think that. I've read some commentaries where they said there's not a chance in the world that Luke 3 is Mary's genealogy. Perfect. And then the next one I read is like, yeah, that could be. In fact, uh, I have like two life application Bibles. Do you guys have these Bibles with like all the study notes in the bottom? And so they're like the, the same Bible. Like one's like NIV, one's like NLT, but the notes are literally the same notes. You guys know what I'm talking about? But I was like reading through them, and in one Bible, it had like the little paragraph about how Luke 3 could be Mary's genealogy, and the other Bible just left it out altogether. But like all the other notes were literally word for word the same notes. And I was like, come on, life application Bible, help me out. Uh, and it didn't. It was useless. Um, but also, some of the difference if you read through those genealogies, which is pretty cool, they're also different. Like, there's different people listed in them. Some people are left out of them. And the, probably the main reason for that is that they were writing to convey different things. Like, Matthew goes from Abraham to Joseph, and in his genealogy, he includes a few women because he shares this genealogy right before he introduces us to Mary. So he's saying, look, Jesus is very Jewish. Here's his bloodline. Women are along the way and important. So now we're, the stage is set to learn about Mary and how this Jewish woman is about to do something really spectacular. Whereas um, Luke traces the genealogy all the way back to Adam. And he references this multiple times in the book of Luke. Um, where it's like that first Adam came and screwed things up. Where Jesus is now the second one and he's about to set things right. So the genealogies are different and people fight about them. And there's lots of gray areas. So again, we can say... Yeah, it's cool that he fulfilled that Old Testament prophecy. But how it all works, I don't know. You can ask Joe later. Um, but I, I do think that's cool. And I, and I especially love, and I think this is important, of the virgin birth. It's because there are some people that have said, well, Jesus grew up and he studied Jewish law, so he knew what this Messiah would look like. So he just did all the things that the Messiah was supposed to do. But in the virgin birth, he had zero control over those things, right? He, when you're born, you don't choose where you're born. You know, like I was born in the middle of Kansas. I had no choice in that. My parents did, but I did not. Um, and so that's why I think the virgin birth is cool, and it starts to fulfill some of these prophecies that really show that he is who he says he was. Okay, so that's the virgin birth. The next thing we're going to talk about is some of his limits as a man, which uh, if you have your notes, maybe this would be a good time because I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. So uh, Luke 2, 7, it says, She gave birth to her firstborn son. She dressed him in baby clothes and laid him on a bed of hay because there was no room for them in the inn. So Luke 2, 7, he was actually a baby. I know we just talked about Christmas and all of that, but he was a baby. He had to be wrapped in clothes. He had to be fed. I'm sure they had to change his diaper. You know, like, he was a baby. So Luke 2, 7, Luke 2, 40, um, talked about how he had to mature. The child Jesus grew. He became strong and wise, and God blessed him. Uh, Luke 2, 52 says a similar thing. Jesus became wise, and he grew strong. God was pleased with him, and so were the people. So I love both of those scriptures, 
Because it shows us that Christ had to learn the same way we did, right? He, he didn't just show up as a baby who was like, had the maturity of a 70-year-old man and just knew all the answers. You imagine like a little one-year-old baby Jesus like correcting his mother like, no, this is really how the world was made. I was there. Uh, I don't think he said that. But it's hard because he was 100% God at the same time, so surely he knew that. But he still had to learn like we did, and he still had to go to school, and he still had siblings and brothers. and Yeah, we'll talk more about that because that's kind of fun. Um, so John 4, 6 is the next one. It says, um, The well that Jacob had dug was still there, and Jesus sat down beside it because he was tired from traveling. It was noon, and after Jesus' disciples had gone into the town to buy some food, a Samar- Samaritan woman came to draw water from the well. Jesus asked her, would you please give me a drink of water? So in this verse, we see that Jesus has human limits the way we do. If you travel all day, aren't you tired? Yeah. Even if it's like you're just sitting in an airplane, somehow that still makes you really tired. You're just sitting there. Um, compared to Jesus' traveling, which was probably on foot. Uh, whoops. Uh, so, so Jesus became tired. He was thirsty. He asked for water. He needed things. We also see in Matthew 4, 2, so that after Jesus had gone without eating for 40 days and 40 nights, he was very hungry. If you didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, wouldn't you also be very hungry? Yeah, I think that's kind of funny that it says very. Um, but yeah, he had human limits. His body needed the same things we did. He didn't just like live for a few years and it's like, oh, food, I don't need that. I'm God. Which is weird. It's, it's, it's hard to, because his divine nature never needed food. So it's really interesting. Um, and then I didn't write these down, but there's maybe not limits, but it's also like gives us examples. Like how Jesus dies and all these things even shows us how it is with us. Like uh, Jesus talks to the criminal on the cross. Remember that? And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So Jesus, when he died, his body stayed here just like it will when we die, right? Like when your grandmother passed away, her body didn't disappear. It stays here. Um, But he didn't go someplace special. He went to the same place the criminal's soul was going to. Um, And even after the resurrection, do you remember Jesus comes back um, and sees his disciples? And he says, uh, ghosts don't have flesh and bones, but you see, I have. So he actually had flesh. You remember those stories? And it's kind of funny because it was like he had like appear in rooms and stuff and people wouldn't recognize him. But he was actually a body, like flesh, when he came back. And the same way will happen to us after our resurrected bodies um, come back. And we also see in Acts 1.11 that he took his body with him when he went up into the sky. So it says... Um, so they said, why are you men from Galilee standing here and looking up into the sky? Jesus has been taken to heaven, but he will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. So he's still a man. He still has his resurrected body with him now. He just wasn't a man temporarily. He didn't just come down and put on some cool human Halloween costume for a few years just to prove a point and then peace out. No, the same thing happened to his body that will happen to ours which is kind of cool. You might say it still has limits because he's still man. Is that interesting to you? I guess I never really fully thought that he's like maybe still in heaven with a full fleshly body, just the way ours is. Um, Okay, so the next idea is 
not only did he have a human body, but he had a human soul and emotions. He had feelings. We see um, in John 12, 27, it says, Now my soul is troubled. We also see in John 13, 21, that he was troubled. This is actually the verse. He said, After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. So he had the ability to be sad and broken up about things. We also see in Matthew 26, 38, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So even like in some commentaries, how he was saying this and the words he said, he was kind of saying, If there was any greater sorrow, I think it just might kill me. Have you guys ever had sorrow like that? Or it's like, I can't take any more of this. If there's any more, if there's any greater sorrow, I think it would just kill me on the spot. Like, I can't take it. Which I think is a really strong indicator that he had feelings. He had emotions and had these things. And he wasn't just some machine living as a fake human. He, he felt things. Um, we also see that in John chapter 11. This is where the story of Lazarus is. You know, where he goes. Many of you probably know John eleven thirty five. 35. It's like the first verse and probably the only verse some of you have memorized. It's the one that says Jesus wept. You know? You learned it to get like a sticker in Sunday school and kindergarten. Uh, yeah, but he was God. He could have just fixed something, but his friend died. And what does he do? He takes time to cry about it, which is pretty cool. I mean, on some, I mean, it's sad, obviously, but it's still really great that to think he didn't just save the day. He was a human. He was sad when his friend was gone. Um, in the same way we do. Uh, we also see in Hebrews 5, 7, it says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. So he had the ability to feel things. Um, and we, we see in Scripture, um, these, these Scriptures that are very clear that he had a human body, right? He was tired, he was hungry. We also see these Scriptures that are fairly clear that he was sad about things. He was filled with sorrow about things. Um, but there's also some other fun Scriptures, uh, Maybe fun's not the right word, but they affirm those things. They affirm that he was human. Uh, like, there's two places, like in Matthew and in Mark. Uh, people in his town didn't believe that he was God. Do you guys remember these verses? They're like, hey, isn't that the carpenter's son? Isn't that the brother of so-and-so? Isn't that Mary's boy? Like, so to give some context, Jesus grew up in a small town. Like, 300 to 2,000 people probably lived in this town. So if you grow up in a small town like that, people know you, Right? It's not like growing up in Denver where there's, you know, thousands and millions of people surrounding you. It's like, no, they know where you are. They know where your house is. You know, like the mailman still comes to your house. I don't know if they had mailmen back then. I just made that up. Um, But they didn't believe him. And even we see in John 2 where he first does his first miracle at like the age of 30, right? Where he turns water into wine. You know this story? So if that's his first miracle, he wasn't like... uh, some like boy wonder, like going around just like doing miracles to impress his friends. You know, like he was just a boy. Um, so we, it's affirmed that he was human in that. And even we see in John 7 where it talks about uh, his brothers didn't even believe in him. Which is a pretty strong thing, right? Like you live in the same house as the God. And you're like, ah, uh, I don't know. Uh, but to give maybe some context is that Jesus' family probably wasn't rich enough or wealthy enough to have all the kids have their own rooms. 
So he probably had to share room with his brothers. Did any of you have to share rooms with your siblings? Yes. Yeah, I did too. I had to share a room with my little brother. And we had uh, bunk beds. And I had the top bunk because I'm cooler than he is. Um, and you, you guys know how you can like flip a towel and it like, like pops like a whip and you can like hurt somebody? You know what I'm talking about? Well, one time like uh, when I was in the top bunk, I had a, like a little blanket. And so I would get in the top bunk while he was sleeping and just whip him with it. <laughs> But one night, one night, like, I was trying to whip him with it, and uh, it, like, caught the light fixture and ripped it to the ground, and, and glass just shattered everywhere. My parents ran in, and they were pissed. Like, what happened? I was like, I don't know. I was sleeping. You know, like, just magically ripped to shreds. And so, uh, so when you live in a room with your brothers, like, stuff happens, right? So if, if I was divine, my brother wouldn't believe me, and he shouldn't. Uh, and that probably happened with Jesus too, where his brothers were like, really? That guy farts in his sleep. I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure that probably happened. Um, sorry, maybe that was too much. So, so if Jesus really was human, uh, do you think Jesus laughed? Yeah, I think he probably had to have laughed. Do you think, uh, here's a good one, do you think Jesus was sick as a boy? I think Probably he was. In that, when we see the crucifixion, the nails affected his hands just the way they would affect ours. The spear went to his side just the way it would ours. So if he wasn't doing miracles until the age of 30, and you live in a room with a bunch of smelly boys and one of them gets sick, chances are they all get sick. So if, he got a, if the common cold was there, there's a good chance it affected his body the same way it affected everybody else's. Probably. To be fair, though, there are some sicknesses and illnesses that Jesus was probably more healthy than some of us because he didn't have sin in him. You know what I mean? So, like, Jesus couldn't have had AIDS. He never sinned. That's, he couldn't have got that. Um, so, yeah. So, we got a lot more to cover. So, Jesus um, was also sinless. It's kind of the next thing. So, we know that he's human, but we also see that he is sinless. Um, and I'll give you just look at all these scriptures. Just look at them. Just look at them. Write them down. Ponder them in your heart. Uh, so there's a bunch of these. And so, um, like John 8 says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Jesus talking about God. One that I think is really cool is John 18. This is actually where Pilate comes. You remember when Jesus goes in front of Pilate? And Pilate says, I can't find anything that he is guilty of, which is pretty cool. Um, I add that one. Most of these other ones is when Jesus is kind of referring to himself, and he's, but it's cool, and someone else says that. You know, like, it's one thing if I say, well, I'm really smart. You know, it's like, bless your heart. But if someone else says, oh, Aaron's really smart, then you might believe them, right? So I add that one, um, and there's lots of yeah, there's a lot of really cool scriptures. I'm just afraid I might run out of time, so I don't have time to read all of them. But there are, like even 1 Peter 2.22, I'll read this one and then we'll keep going. Uh, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So he was totally sinless, perfect. Um, Which makes the whole salvation thing possible, right? Yeah. So you guys have all those written down for those of you that like to take notes. I wish I could read them, but we are kind of running out of time. So he was sinless, but he was also tempted Tempted with sin. So the first one, and we'll take, we'll take a minute to read this one. 
Um, so this is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And then this is the temptation of Jesus in the desert. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, which we read that verse already. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put your Lord God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. And there are lots of really interesting ideas in that. But we see that Satan gives lots of things to Jesus and says, you're hungry. Why don't you eat? But we see that he, he didn't. He didn't cheat. He didn't use any of his God power or whatever to make himself not hungry. He was a man who was tempted with real things but didn't do it. Um, Hebrews 2.18 says, Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he was able to help those who are being tempted, which is a pretty cool idea. And Matthew 4.15 kind of echoes it and says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Which is pretty cool, right? So these things are human weaknesses, and we'll talk more about that um, here in a second. Well, actually, let's talk about it right now. So I put in your notes as like a, right, kind of right in the middle, it says a good exercise. It's like list a few areas of your greatest point of sorrow, and can you think of a way that Jesus could personally relate to that? And so I think this is a really good exercise. Like, we're not going to take time now for you to do that. If you have ideas, you can jot them down now. But I think this is a really great exercise for us because I think some of the greatest point of sorrow in our life is when we think that we're the only one that has it. You know what I mean? Like, have you ever met someone that's, like, going through the same stuff that, like, you're going through, and then all of a sudden you feel less strange? You know, like, when I got married, I learned that, like, girls are different than me. And, uh, and so it's really helpful for me to talk with other married guys because they're like, my wife did this. And I was like, no way, my wife does that too. I'm not nuts for responding the way I did. Uh, for those of you who aren't married, you'll get there. Um, and so, so that's one thing. The other cool part about like, the exercise of writing some of these things down is that we can really see that Jesus can relate to them. And then when we pray, we can say, you saw this. You went through this. How did you do this sinlessly? And could you guide me in that? So if it's singleness, Christ understands that. If it's uh, school, Christ had to go through school. Jesus went through school. Those things were hard for him. Or even some of you might say, well, like, I have kids, and that's hard. Well, Jesus probably even understands that, maybe, on some level. Um, we don't really see Joseph mentioned much later on, but Jesus was the oldest son. So there's probably some responsibility Jesus had to take care of his other siblings and to help raise. You know, like, there's these things that could really help us in that. So we see he's a man. We see that he had limits. We saw that he was sinless. And we also saw that he was tempted. And we read all those scriptures, or at least you can read them when you go home. So that brings me to this question. Could Jesus have sinned? Yes. Okay, can you guys talk about this at your tables? 
for roughly three and a half minutes, and then uh, we'll continue. Because I want you to like, get your brains going so you don't just have to listen to me for a whole hour straight. Ready? Okay, ready, set, go. If you're a smaller table, you can join with a bigger table. But discuss. Good, Jesus have sinned. All right, do you guys all know what you believe about this? Are you settled in your decisions? Okay, who says, yeah, he could have sinned? Uh, who says, no, he couldn't have sinned? Who says yes to both? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this is, this is kind of a tricky question because he is 100% man, right? And 100% God. So if he couldn't have sinned, how are the temptations real? You know, like, I hate sushi. If you go to me and I'm hungry and you're like, Aaron, you want some sushi? I'm like, no. It's disgusting. Even if it's not raw fish, you're still eating seaweed, weeds from the sea. Sick. I don't go around like licking dandelions. Sick. Uh, So the temptation of sushi for me isn't a real temptation. So that's one question. How is it real if if he couldn't do it? Um, And then the other question is, well, if he could sin, how is he God? We see in James 1 where it says God can't be tempted with evil. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How does that work? So um, I want to tell you a little story really quickly uh, of this guy. He's on your notes. Okay, just look at that mustache. Yeah, that mustache and bathing suit alone. I could have talked about that for an hour. Uh, actually, I couldn't. That's weird. Um, okay, does anyone know who this is? Yes. Okay, this is Captain Matthew Webb. Captain. With a mustache like that, I would, I would call him Captain. Uh, so Captain Matthew Webb, he was the first guy to swim the English Channel. That's pretty neat, right? In 1875, he was the first guy. There's a picture of the English Channel. So he didn't swim across, like, the fat part. Um, he, like, swam, like, up there, see on the right where it says Dover? Check out this modern technology. We'll zoom in on it with poorly pixelated graphics. Okay, so he jumps in at, uh, at Dover, and he swims, like, zigzag like that all the way to that other town. I don't know how you say it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so he swims there, and he gets, like, stung by jellyfish, and he has to, like, tread water because the waves are too big, so he can't swim into the shore. And because he swims all zigzag like that, it takes him 21 hours and 45 minutes, and, and that's 39 miles that he swam. For those of you that have a hard time imagining that, it's like swimming from New Life Church to Castle Pines, just south of Denver. That would suck to walk, right? <laughs> uh, and so he swims, and so that's pretty cool that he did that. And now there's been like tons of people that have done it, and they've done it way faster and all this stuff. But he was the first guy in 1875. So you could say like, well, that's pretty cool. It's pretty dangerous. Or it's like, well, did he drown? It's like, well, no, he did not drown because he swam the whole way. But then you may ask, well, could he have drowned? And the answer to that is no. He could not have drowned. He left with boats. There's three boats that left with him the day he jumped in at Dover. So he swam. He did not drown because he had the strength to swim in his own strength to swim from one side to the other. But he also could not have drowned because there was boats to save him if he was about to. Does that make sense? So maybe that could be a metaphor for us where we could say, well, Jesus did not sin. Because he had the strength and chose and knew Scripture well enough to when Satan tempted him, he could say, no, this is what the Scripture really says about that. So he did not sin because he chose as a man not to. But we also say on the other side, 
that he could not have sinned because he was still God. So to answer our question, yeah, he could have sinned because he was human. He was a dude, and if his human nature would have existed without God's nature, it probably would have, he probably would have sinned. Um, but then we also say, no, he was God. There's not a chance he could have sinned. And some may argue, well, it's like, well, isn't that the same thing as like being hungry? It's like a human thing. But even talking to Joe this week, it's like the human nature can exist without sin in it. It's probably how it was meant to be anyway. Um, so for Jesus to sin, it would require all of him to do that. It's different than being hungry, where hungry is like, oh, my stomach tells me I need food, and so I need to put some food in it. Where an act of sin is usually uh, maybe something bigger than that. Like we said, it's more of a condition where we're, we sin because we are sinners. It's, it's a deeper thing. I don't just sin. It's not just a behavioral thing. It goes deeper than that. It's a mental thing. It's a choice. It goes deeper even still into our souls, and, um, and it really affects us. And so... Yeah, so he could not have sinned because of his divine nature, but he did not, maybe in his human nature, is the best way. So to answer the question, yes and no. I know it's mean to bring up a question that has two answers. Um, yeah, so I'll give you a couple definitions real quick that you don't need to write down. But I would encourage you, as these things, that I would encourage you to go back and read some of these scriptures and to talk about it, because there really are a lot of complex ideas in the humanity of Christ. And to remember that there's two ways to look at it, both historical and what the Bible says and what these things say, and with faith to believe that what the Bible says is actually true. Um, so there's a couple, I'll just give you these terms. You don't need to write them down. Um, but these are just like early like heresies of the church because people have a hard time, even like probably some of us answering the question, could Jesus have sinned? It's a lot easier for us if we just fudge the rules a little bit. And that's what basically all these things are. So docetism, um, it's from a Greek word that means to seem or appear. So someone said, I, there's no way if all matter is evil, and this is what they think, then how could this great transcendent God come down and become that? He's the great God. How could he become so lowly to be a baby? It's not possible. It must have just been a fake illusion, or it must have looked like that, but it must have not been that. Which we just proved for the last hour that there's tons of scriptures that say, well, that's not true. He was actually a dude. He was here. Uh, I bet he could grow a sweet mustache like Captain Matthew Webb. Uh, that stuff's real. And then uh, the other one is like this, uh, it came from a fourth century bishop, but the idea of having two natures, as it is hard for us to understand, it was too hard for him to understand. So he said, the only way this makes sense is if it was just a human body. And he had a very human body so he could die on a cross, but in his mind, he was always God. But we see those scriptures where he had to learn and grow up. Um, so, so I encourage you, as you um, maybe think about these ideas, try to think of it in both ways. To, to learn and study this historical side, but also still have the faith to s- believe what it says. To believe and this great sinless Jesus who was tempted and lived and can understand the things that we don't serve a high priest that can't empathize with our pain. So let me pray real quick and then uh, we'll be done. Uh, So Father God, we just thank you for scriptures and we thank you for all the big ideas that are there. Lord, we ask that you would just continually teach us and show us how to live in a way that's sinless, that we can pray to you knowing that you have seen things that we have seen and you feel hurts the way we feel hurts and that you can teach us and guide us into being more like you and to 
live a holy life the way you did. So would you help us in that? Would you open up our minds and would you open up our hearts to fully understand that all these things that you have for us? So we just thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.